Happy Mental, Mental Health, Health Awareness, Awareness Month. Month. We are Preston and Sadie Keller, and you're listening to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. We have a great episode lined up for you today, and we are joined once again by Gary and Allison Robertson. Just to remind you, they are veteran youth pastors, and Allison has a master's degree in clinical psychology. Yes, we hope you enjoyed their talk last week. It was so insightful regarding the leader's mental health. And on this episode, they're actually answering mental health questions that were sent in by you, by a bunch of youth pastors. Uh, They sent in questions and it was really fun. So let's dive into mental health Q&A with Garrett and Allison Robertson. We're glad to be back with you guys this week. And uh, we've got some questions from some different youth pastors and youth leaders that we're going to address from a mental health uh, perspective. Allison is the trained professional here, and um, so probably a lot of today will be what I do on a weekly basis, which is defer to her. (laughs) Uh, But um, we're just going to talk about some different things that you guys have brought to the table. And uh, first of all, we do want to make sure that we address some important questions that uh, Preston wanted to make sure that we cover some very important uh, and pertinent topics. And um, I'll, I'll ask you first, okay. uh, Allison, what are your go-to road trip gas station snacks? Oh, yeah. Anything with peanut butter, Reese's Pieces, uh, peanut butter cups. I'm a peanut butter person. So <laughs> definitely anything with peanut butter, probably like, uh, what are those, like the double shots, the Starbucks, Starbucks double, double shots. Yeah, that'll keep me awake. All right. Um, those are definitely, I would say, those. Yeah, Allison likes to venture out into the really weird stuff uh, as oh, far as yeah. snack-wise goes. I'm I have like, a palate of a four-year-old. I want the plain original Lay's potato chips, the yellow bag. I want the water. I want the salted peanuts. That's why Garrett is not in charge of our road trip snacks because he <laughs> buys the boring things and I buy the anything with sprinkles or cake batter flavored. Yeah, It's pretty good. Uh, next question. Uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? I'll go first. Okay. Uh, Allison and I started dating uh, a long time ago and we would I would regularly go up to uh, Auburn Hills, Michigan, which is where she's from. And there's a pizza place up there called Buddy's. And Buddy's had, notice I sit, I use a past tense. They had this amazing Hawaiian pizza that, you know, so it's good. Detroit styled deep crust pizza. And they had like this sweet and sour sauce on it. They had this, you know, Canadian ham, you know, bacon on it. And they had the big rings of pineapple. It was amazing. Yeah. So definitely in that instance, pineapple belongs on pizza. The devastating part of the story is that they have changed their pizza. Yeah, it's bad. Like well, it's I, not bad, but it's... No, it's not good. It's The Buddies is still good, but the Hawaiian They have the small, junky little chunk pineapples out of a can now. Yeah. Uh, it's so terrible. So if anyone from Buddies is listening to this podcast, which I'm sure they are. I'm sure. Uh, if you could just go back to the original The Hawaiian. original recipe. I asked last time, can you make it like you used to? And they're like, no, we can't. It's disappointing. So uh, at Buddy's, it, pineapple used to belong on pizza. If you could travel to one country, all expenses paid, where would you go? One million percent would be Israel. Like I'd love to do like the Holy Land tour. And I know Preston has gone. Uh, and uh, I would, that is like my one dream vacation, to be honest. Yeah, I'd love be, to, 
to see that. That's always number one on my bucket list. You're obviously the righteous one in the group. I would uh, go the more worldly route, uh, quite literally in the in the Bible. I really want to see the pyramids. Oh, well, there you um, go. That would be really cool to go to Egypt and see that. I don't know. I've just always had a fascination about that. Uh, so you'll go to the Holy Land. I'll go to uh, Egypt. Or Egypt, yeah. <laughs> um, so, but uh, we know you guys really wanted to know uh, all of that information. Uh, but we did want to get to really some uh, some good questions that have been sent into uh, Rush Student Ministry and some questions that probably everyone has encountered uh, throughout their time in youth ministry. And uh, we're here to hopefully bring some answers, some application, and hopefully to help you guys out. But as we all know, we often have students in our office talking about stuff that they're going through. Right. Uh, some of it is just, you know, teenage drama. Uh, that's quite frankly hilarious that it's even, mm-hmm. you know, an issue. Uh, but other times it's some really deep, dark, you know, uh, stuff. And so one thing that I, I think is always a question in our mind is, you know, what are some typical warning signs that a teen is struggling with? you know, when they're struggling with mental health. Yeah, so when we talk about warning signs, the the benefit of student ministry is uh, students are very much controlled by their emotions, right? Like their amygdala is the overactive part of their brain, um, which is not great when you talk about risk-taking behaviors and decision-making and those things, but um, it is hard a lot of times for students to... Um, hide their emotions. So typically, if you have a good relationship with a student, if you see changes um, in the pattern of their behavior, typically something is going on. If they're, you know, most of the time they're going to start posting things on social media that maybe seem a little bit out of character, something's probably going on. If you're, um, they kind of get MIA, like that you have no clue where they are. They start missing things that they typically wouldn't miss. And miss. There's probably something going on. So um, if you think something's going on, um, all it takes is a simple like, hey, let's have coffee or, hey, I've noticed X, Y, and Z. Um, is there something going on? Is there something that we need to talk about? And yeah. for the most part, uh, you're going to get students that are going to begin to open up because the reality is, uh, our teenagers, early 20-somethings, um, they, it's important for them to feel heard. Sure. It's important for them to be seen. Mm-hmm. And some of the easiest questions that you can ask is simply, hey, I've noticed some changes, or I, I noticed this or that. I see you are doing some things that are a little different. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And uh, typically, they're they're pretty good about opening up. Yeah. And, you know, recognizing those changes in their behavior is so important. It wasn't too long ago where I walked into a, a, one of our student services and, you know, there was a student there who just looked, you know, like they had been, you know, hit by a bus, mm-hmm. you know, or they'd just been given the worst news in the, you know, of the world. And, uh, you know, this student has their ups and downs, but I went, you know, and acquired, inquired, you know, about it. And immediately he hit me with some really heavy stuff. And, um, you know, again, it it's not how that student would typically act, but he divulged some information that was, like, really heavy. And it just those small things, 
you know, that, that you can do to, to recognize. And I think that's such good advice. And I think the other thing too is, you know, sometimes we may, may not, you may not be great at seeing those cues or those warning signs. I think the most effective thing that you can do is to create an environment where talking about mental health issues is acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like we're very, uh, uh, we're very much aware of making sure we talk a lot or recognizing or bringing up very uh, mental health words or issues that are going on. Like we call out depression. Like it's normal for us to say depression over the pulpit or when we're teaching or suicidal thoughts or anxiety or, you know, and so I feel like when you begin to talk about those things openly, even though you may not be able to see the warning signs because you've made it normal to talk about those things, a student will come to you, you know, when uh, you may not be able to see the signs. And so create that environment too, where even if you can't see the sign, they still feel like it's normal to talk about those things and they'll seek you out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Another question that was sent in is how can we partner with parents in helping their struggling student? And so, you know, uh, again, you know, we see students going through stuff uh, and, um, you know, there are a lot of ways that we can help with that. But, you know, what are some ways that we can partner with parents to help students? Because we can help them on the spiritual side, but a lot of times there are things that need to be done in the home as well. Yeah. And and I think uh, first off, having a relationship with parents is so important. I think when you think of student ministry, you think of student ministry, but a lot of student ministry is really uh, working with the parents. The reality is, is we have our students Wednesday nights, Friday nights, and we see them on Sunday mornings. Um, They're at home significantly more than they're in our hands. And to be able to empower parents, um, we have an open, open door policy with our students, but we also have an open door policy with our parents and developing that relationship with them um, and then supporting them. uh, Mm -hmm. It's pretty rare that I would ever, or it is rare and pretty non-existent that I would ever talk against a parent to a student, Um, you know, making sure that when that student comes in and says, hey, my mom said this, this, and this, that I am always using supportive words for the parent, always making sure that we're doing our best to help the parent-student relationship. And again, as teenagers go, a lot of times that's when the rift between parents happen, um, just kind of naturally. So they may come to us for advice, but I do really try to make an effort um, to bring their parents in, uh, to talk about their parents, to have meetings with their parents and saying, hey, you know, so-and-so let me know this information. And I think this is a way that you could help at home. I also let our students know um, when they begin to tell me something, if it's something that I think I'm gonna have to tell their parents, I stop them and I say, before you tell me this, this is something I'm probably gonna have to talk to your parents about. Yeah, You can either tell them, we can tell them together, or I can tell them. And um, that way I keep uh, my relationship and trust between the student, I let them know. Right. I'm not going behind their back tattling on them. They know exactly what's to be expected, and they, they know that, 
hey, this is something that Allison might have to talk to my parents about. But I also make the option for, you know, let's go together. Let's have a yeah. meeting with your parents together. Let me help you. Let me be a mediator in a meeting or let me help you explain this or just be there to support. Yeah. And I think what you said about not going behind the student's back, you know, to make sure that you still maintain their trust. I think that is an important, you know, important piece. Uh, but in, in the same sense, I think if you know you're dealing with a student and they have a problem that you know you're probably going to have to bring the parent in at some point, mm-hmm. you need to think about how can, how can I set myself up where I can bring in the parent into this situation uh, with the student, you know, set, your, set yourself up for success to when you tell the student, hey, listen, I think this is a good moment to bring in your parent, you know, so that we can talk about this together. And the main reason why students probably are not going to want their parent to be involved is they might have a parent that's going to overreact, Sure, you know, that might blow up, that might ground them forever, uh, you know, and they don't want that to happen. But I think it's important to convey to that student before you bring the parent in, like, listen, I'm not taking a position or a side or a team. My my goal is to help you in this problem. And I'm going to make sure that we have a plan in place where nobody overreacts, but then also you're held accountable for these, right. you know, actions and, you know, this scenario. And, you know, make bringing the parents in a positive thing for the student rather than, oh my, you know, I'm going to be grounded for the rest of my right. life. My parents are going to blow up, you know, try to manage that with the student before and then help the parent navigate the information that you're about to hand them. Yeah. And, and then too, with that, um, I think sometimes uh, we can run into the habit of dropping information on parents and then just letting them be. Yeah. You know, and, and some some parents may not have the tools necessarily to know how to deal with this, um, you know, and, and it's important to not only support the student moving forward, but also supporting the parents moving forward. Yeah. Hey, this bomb was dropped on you that Johnny was doing X, Y, and Z. Let's meet again so we can talk about it. Let's see if we can get a plan. And they may be open to that. And they may not be open to that, but just making sure that you have a really supportive environment that not only students can come and uh, get help, but also parents. Um, there's a second part to this question that's a little bit more difficult, um, which is what if the parent doesn't believe there's a problem, but we see the signs? Yeah. yeah and I think we all deal with this in student ministry to where you have parents who their child is perfect. Sure. Um, you know, there could never be anything that Johnny or Sally is doing, you know, that that would be wrong or bad, uh, you know, or, you know, a, a mental health issue even. You know, we've had students sit in our, our office that have told us that they're having suicidal thoughts and they come from a background where you would think that would never exist in the home. Sure. But it does. And... I think that's one of those things where, you know, there's a reason why the student, you know, why the parent is not going to believe the student and then also why the student's not going to want to meet with the parents, you know, at the same time in the same room. But if you know that that could potentially be a problem, again, you need to set yourself up so that the parent and the student and you 
are in the room together and the student can say, hey, listen, this is what happened. Either this is what I've done or this is my addiction or this is what I'm going through because that parent may not be in tune with that child's actions or emotions. But if you can navigate with that student that, hey, listen, this is going to happen and this is important and you're going to have to be truthful and honest when your parents walk through this door. And then instead of meeting with the parents and saying, hey, listen, this is what's happening, and they're like, oh, no, there's no way Johnny's doing that, bring them in the room and have Johnny tell them what's going on and help everyone navigate that. And I think it's too, you know, also remembering um, sometimes the parent's reaction or, you know, this idea of, like, the parent doesn't believe that there's a problem. Maybe the parent doesn't tell you that they think that there's a problem. Sure. Uh, because maybe it's embarrassing to them to have to admit to the student pastor, yeah, stuff's going on in my home. Yeah. You know, it may be a reflection of like their parenting. Um, hey, yeah, like my kid is messing up. And, and some people don't necessarily want the world to know that. Yeah. Some people don't necessarily want you as a student pastor to walk into their home and tell them, hey, you need to fix this, this, and this. Um, so sometimes it may look like the parent doesn't believe that there's a problem, but maybe the parent's just saving face. Like, and I think we have to respect um, anytime a, a family allows us to work with a student, but we also need to respect the family and the home environment because um, it would be really easy for them to pull that student. Right. And again, we need to be sensitive to to the reality that we don't know the whole story right? and that we don't know everything that's going on in the home and having, you know, it's easy for me to say, well, you know, Johnny's mom, she's just oblivious and she has no clue. Well, she might have a clue. She just might not want to have that conversations with you, but to continue that conversation, to be supportive of the family. And eventually that parent may come around to say, okay, yeah, you know what? there's a lot of stuff going on in our home. But if you just, you know, drop the bomb on them and say, all right, fix it, or, you know, you're a bad parent, well, they're probably going to shut you out. (laughs) So uh, that relationship is just, I cannot emphasize the relationship with the parents. Um, It is so important. I can't emphasize it enough that to have a good relationship with parents and recognize they're, you know, they're dealing with their own struggles and their own, um, pressures and there's just other stories that we don't have there's other there's more to the story and i think like if if we take the time to build that trust with the parents and like sometimes parents just need their egos built up too and you know it's frustrating it's a last thing that we want to do you know to you know uh, feed the egos of a parent that you know won't recognize something that's going on or ignores you know the things that we're saying or the things that we're bringing to them. But if you just, if you'll appease them, if you'll work with them, if you'll be patient with them, if you, you know, keep your mouth quiet when you walk out of the office and just, you know, uh, mitigate it, eventually the parent might see the warning signs and they might walk back into your office. Sure. You know, now that's going to take a, a big man, you know, a, a big set of parents to, to walk in and admit, hey, we were wrong. But it, it does happen. You know, and it's it's that 
you don't do anything in that moment where they say, no, there's no way my student, and they get irate at you. Sure. You don't do anything to, you know, invalidate that relationship of trust Absolutely. because you want them to be able to walk back through that door. And it's important too, you know, I think a lot of times we go to parents when things are a problem, but we kind of forget to go to parents when things are going good. Sure, yeah. Uh, you know, part of developing, uh, partnering with that parent to help students is, hey, Johnny prayed really good at service tonight. They want to hear that. They want to hear. Finally, Johnny is taking a turn for the yeah, best. Yeah, <laughs> you know, they want to hear, hey, maybe maybe something good is happening. And um, that's going to help that relationship so that when there is a problem, uh, we can say, listen, I know that Johnny can do better. Yeah. You know, and, and again, stroking that ego a little bit is is a good thing yeah. um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, another thing is, you know, obviously there are times where students come to, you know, their student pastors or maybe, you know, you're just, uh, you know, you're helping out with youth and you're not the youth pastor. You're just a youth worker and you're there as, you know, a part of the support system. And, uh, you know, but there are times where maybe a student doesn't feel comfortable going to the youth pastor, but they'll go to a youth worker. Sure. You know, whatever the scenario may be, there are times when the student opens up to us, whether you're a student pastor or student worker. And I think it's important for us to understand how we communicate and operate within this conversation. Yeah. And, and, you know, the reality is, is that you, you always have to be ready for it. I can't tell you how many times I've been, you know, getting my kids ready or trying to leave the church and all of a sudden a student grabs me and says, hey, can we chat for a second? And I think they're going to talk about whatever. We go into the office and they drop this bomb on me. And I think I had no clue this was going on. And all of a sudden I, I have to kind of change modes and it's not, hey, what timer is the bus leaving for the rally? It's, hey... I've, I just, I went through something really horrible a couple of weeks ago and this, you're the first person I've ever told. Yeah. Um, so always being prepared for those conversations. Um, the reality is, is therapy is not rocket science, I guess. Um, you know, when you, when you talk to someone, it's just being an active listener. Sometimes students just want to be able to talk. Yeah. And I think us as leaders, us as student pastors or student workers, uh, you know, we feel some pressure to impart wisdom and impart knowledge and counsel them and fix their problems. Um, when in reality, what they need probably in that moment is for someone to just listen, yeah. to just sit in a room with them while they pour their heart out. And instead of trying to fix what they're saying, just say, wow, that's really heavy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I was, you know, very bad and probably still am, you know, to some extent about over talking in those scenarios. Now, when Allison and I got married, you know, and she has her master's in clinical psychology uh, and, um, you know, we would have a student come in and they would tell me something. I would be like, just hold on one second. Let me go get Allison, <laughs> you know, but I, I've learned a lot from those environments and, you know, the best advice that I could give, again, is to not over-communicate, to not over-talk. But you need to ask the simple question of, how does that make you feel? Or where do you think that's coming from? Or how do you think that emotion, you know, came up? You know, how do you think that came about? 
And so asking those probing questions to just... I'm so proud of you of all the... Yeah, thanks. I've I've learned a lot over the nine years. (laughs) Um, You know, but asking those probing questions where you get a lot of information, um, but the student still talks. Yeah. I I had a student come in my office a little bit ago and really just kind of unloaded, and I didn't say much. There really was not much to say. Um, And the parent came to me weeks later and says, yes, you know, so-and-so told me they just felt so good that they had never told anyone that and that your meeting really made a difference. And in my mind, I might have said four or five things. That's it. Sure. And that student just talked. Yeah. And I think that's the struggle is our our, our kids are connected, but not really, yeah. right? Like our students are so saturated with social media and so connected but not really. And really what they need is someone who's willing to just sit with them, to just sit and let them have those conversations. And um, again, it's, it's not hard, but the other thing to think about is, you know, what's the goal of this? Yeah. You know, they gave you some information. What, what do they want you to do with it? Do they want you to, in this moment when the, when the girl uh, just kind of unloaded on me, in reality, she didn't need me to do anything. She just needed to say it out loud. Yeah. And that's what I allowed her to do. Um, in some instances, they may need advice. They may need counsel. They may need to know what the next step is. And um, that is really something that you need to start thinking about when someone is talking to you is, okay, what does this student really need? And it's okay to ask that. Yeah. Hey, what what do you need from me in this moment? How can I bring more peace to your life? What what can I do to help you in this moment? And they may say, I just need to talk. Or they may say, hey, I need advice. Yeah. Um, and kind of let them gauge that conversation. Yeah, and, and certainly our, our responsibility is, is to protect the student. And that doesn't mean to sweep it underneath under the rug, right. but to deal with it properly. And you know, before we move on to this next question, the thing that I would just say is, is to go back to how you began to answer the question is that we just need to be ready, okay? So there are students in your youth group that are dealing with depression. They've had suicidal thoughts. They're addicted to all kinds of things, whether it be drugs, pornography, or whatever else. Like they are in your youth group. Statistically, you have multiple students that are dealing with these things. And so before you get caught off guard and have no idea what to say when they walk into your room, spend time now to prepare for those conversations. I pray to God that you never have to have the conversations, but take time now to to prepare for it and, and to be ready for when it comes and let them talk and know where you're gonna steer the conversation. Um, and with that in mind, as a youth pastor or as a youth worker, you know, you receive some information that might be overwhelming. And so I guess a question, you know, that is posed from someone that sent in is, how do I know when I need to deal with the information I've received regarding a struggling student? You know, so if a student brings something heavy, mm-hmm. what do I do with that? Yeah. So um my I need to understand what my role is. I am the spiritual leader of the student, right? Like I my position, my job is to to steer them spiritually. Now we're a whole person. So we're spirit, we're mind, we're body. Um so of course all those interplay. Now I have a degree in clinical psychology, but I am not my student's therapist. 
Um, I can help them, I can counsel to a point, but even for myself, my job is to evaluate a situation and really know when to refer. Right. Uh, when when do when should I? Um, you know, does this student problem or situation or struggle? Do they need to see? You know, have a professional therapist that is not their student pastor, right? That yeah. it, you know, I I'm I am I can be their student pastor or I can be their therapist. I can't be both. Right. And. Um, to understand that. So really part of my job is to, if I start to see, okay, this is a problem, this is a situation that really needs professional help, my job is to help get this student and really in, in turn this family um, to a place where I can refer them to a therapist. And, and that's so good because as, as a youth pastor or as a youth worker, like we, like you guys are Superman. Like you're Batman, you know, like we put on the cape and yeah. we're supposed to preach in 20 minutes, but we go to Little Caesars and pick up, you know, 25 pizzas, you know, you're Batman, like you're the superhero. Right. And, and we like, you know, don't, don't kid yourself. You, you <laughs> like to be Superman. You, you like that you're the superhero. You like to do everything, sure. you know, um, but Sometimes you you shouldn't be Superman. Yeah. You know, you need to understand your limitations. You need to know that this is a situation or a conversation or scenario where you need to take the cape off and recognize, hey, you know what? Clark Kent can't take care of this. You know, yeah. uh, you know, you have to recognize that. And so, you know, it may be you have to you have to refer. Sure. And 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 you know, eleven years ago when I graduated, I was you know, young, and I graduated with a really awesome group of therapists. And, you know, probably 11 years ago, I would have told you, you know, find a good therapist in your area and have them, you know, have your student go there, make sure you have a good referral. Yeah. But the reality is now in this world that we live in, um, it is really important that we have resources that believe the same way that we do that we have resources that are not going to have um, any kind of bias because our if we're going to refer our students to a professional therapist, um, as much as I would like to say, you know, that therapist is not going to sway that student one way or another, sure. they, they, they might. There may be bias there. So it is important that you kind of vet some of these therapists that you would send your kids to, that you have someone that that you can refer to. Um, one great resource is the uh, Center uh, for Apostolic Counseling. Um, it, it is a group of licensed therapists, psychologists, social workers, family, marriage and family therapists who um, they're apostolic, um, they've been vetted. And I think there's like 13 states that they're a part of right now, but you can go on that website and you can find some therapists, hopefully in your area that you can have some confidence that understand the culture that your student is coming sure. from, the apostolic culture that that we have, because that's important too. So um, know when to refer, but also know who to refer your students to. Yeah. And what is that website again? It is um, apostoliccounseling.org. Okay. Um, so you definitely can go there, apostoliccounseling.org. You can search your area. And um, again, these are vetted therapists that are that understand this apostolic culture. Sure. And the stuff that we're talking about today, I mean, again, you've got students that are going to walk in and talk about suicidal thoughts, depression, anxiety, who have been sexually abused. Yeah. Um, maybe there's something going on in the home between the student and the parent. 
that is a terrible situation. And uh, I guess maybe maybe we'll flip these next two questions. Sure. When those are, are brought to you, what is our responsibility to report yeah. a situation that's happening? Um, and it didn't happen in a youth service or on the church premises, but it happened elsewhere. Sure. But when something's brought to you and maybe give an example and what you need to do, when do when are we responsible to report something that's happened to a student? Yeah, that's really important um, for you know most. I know that this podcast or people are from a lot of different states. You really need to understand your state's law, right? So you need to understand the majority of people listening right now are mandated reporters, which means if you suspect, not know for sure, but if you suspect uh, abuse or neglect, that you have to report that. And that's legally binding. Right. Um, so what I would do is when you're done with this podcast, I'd call your pastor and say, hey, what is our mandated reporting policies? What is that procedure? And if your pastor says, I don't know, you should say, okay, let's get we one. Need to figure that we out. need to figure that out. Because as a youth worker, as a, as a student pastor, you're, you're probably going to, and I hope you don't, but the reality is, is you might in your span of however many years get a student that reports abuse or, or neglect, um, and you're going to be required to report that. I yeah. will say um, I'm very upfront. When I, when I feel like a conversation might be going in that direction, I stop my student and, and I say, listen, everything you say here is confidential, but there are a few things that I have to report. Yeah. And I'm accountable to my pastor because I serve under him, and there's some things that I'm going to have to tell him. And it sounds like what you're about to tell me might be something that I have to report. So I'm just going to remind you, if you, if I suspect that there's been, you know, sexual abuse of a minor or physical abuse of a minor or physical abuse or sexual abuse of, of someone vulnerable, um, someone who's elderly, I have to report that. So what you're about to tell me it sounds really important, but I want to let you know, because what I'm not going to do is let that student tell me and then all of a sudden go behind their back and right. report. I'm going to let them know, listen, in 99.999% of the time, your student will continue with that conversation because they want help. Yeah. Um, and, and one statistic that I'll throw out there, which was, you know, one of the more devastating statistics I've I've heard in a while, especially with this whole you know, pandemic hopefully behind us and kids out of school and, and not in school, you know, their virtual learning, the doors, you know, to their school and access to their teachers are closed off. But there was a study that was done and uh, in cases of sexual abuse that has happened to a student, 70% of the time, the first point of contact where the student conveyed what happened to them, 70% of the time, it was a teacher. Yeah. Because it was the only trusted adult in their life who was not family. Now, think about that statistic and the reality of that against kids not being in school and spending more time in a home. Yeah. And more things possibly could have happened to them. And they literally have no one else to go to. And so that might be you. They might not have their teacher right now. So they might be more apt to go to their youth worker or youth pastor, and and you might be that first point of contact. Yeah. And so, like you said, I think it's important to understand what to do with that. And so in all things considered, 
you know, we always want to defer and, and bring in pastor, but when do we go to pastor? Yeah, I would say, um, and I let I let parents and students know again. You know, I'm accountability. Um, I'm accountable to my pastor, um, so I do let him know um, when I've talked to students. Now, I probably don't give him every single detail because he doesn't need to know that. Sure, but I am accountable. Um, so I typically will go to pastor if it's uh, more than just um, I don't want to room with so and so at you know midwinter or whatever pastor doesn't need to know that but when something is really affecting not just my student but maybe our family in our church where i feel like the pastor can be another form of support i definitely want to let him know that and a lot of times you know he'll come i'll i'll go to him um and they'll say yeah thank you so much for letting me know uh just keep me updated um but there are times where they may need to get involved. So it's important to have that accountability yeah. um, in in your ministry so that you're not doing it by yourself. Yeah. And I, th- I think, again, that the advice is to plan ahead, you know, mm-hmm. and Absolutely. to go talk to your pastor now and say, hey, here are the things. How do you how do you want to deal with them? If it were to happen, have a plan in place so that you and your pastor on the same are on the same page. And if you're if you're not the student pastor, maybe you're just a, like a youth worker or a student minister. Um, make sure that you keep your student pastor in the know as well, yeah. because uh, ultimately they're accountable for your students. So, you know, if you have a conversation with someone, if you get a text message from someone, you know, just be very transparent with those because uh, you may not know the whole story. Uh, it, this may just be a piece to a bigger story that is important for the the student pastor to know. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up and close, um, you know, we wanted to give you a, a few book recommendations uh, for people asking out there, uh, you know, some books that maybe youth pastors or even parents, uh, sure, yeah. you know, can have. Um, well, and I think too, you know, youth pastors are pretty good about having books about student ministry, but a lot of times our parents will come to us and say, hey, how can I be a better parent? Sure. Why don't you talk about the book written by Kristen Welch, uh, Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World? Yeah, so probably the greatest book I've read on parenting is Raising Grateful Kids in an Entitled World. In fact, we now at our church give them away. We give the Bible away at baby dedications, and we give this book away. <laughs> we, and used we, to also, give it, we used to give it away as kids came into the youth group, but now like we're just yeah, giving it away. Yeah, we're just starting it right when they're dedicated. But we also give it to every parent who um, their student joins the youth group. Um, and, and it really just talks about uh, this this entitled world that we live in and how to raise kids who are humble, who are grateful. Um, it kind of slaps you in the face a little bit, but a great resource yeah. um, for parents. And if all of our parents could just follow what what the book says, really, um, we'd have a pretty easier gig. Yeah, so, yeah that's, that's a great book. And then another book that I feel... You know, from and it's it's not a it's not a church book, um, you know, but it's written by a couple of people who spent a lot of time. It's very research driven, but it's uh, the book is called "The Coddling of the American Mind: How Good Intentions and Bad Ideas Are Setting Up a Generation for Failure." And I feel like that book really encapsulates a lot of the things that we have to deal with sure. as student pastors. And, um, you know, if you want to understand your teenagers, your hyphens, maybe a little bit better and to know where it's coming from, this is a great book. Yeah. Um, as we wrap up, 
I'll just uh, turn it over to you, Allison. Any last bit of advice, you know, to these student pastors and student workers uh, in terms of mental health? Yeah, you know, I guess I would just end with don't be afraid to touch it. Don't be afraid to tell a student, I don't know. Uh, hey, that's really heavy. Let me let, let's let's pray about it. Let's read some books about it. Let's walk through this together. Um, you know, if you have a student that's struggling with pornography, um, instead of just throwing a resource at them, hey, we're going to walk this right. resource through together. Um, making sure that you don't get overwhelmed yourself, um, that you don't have to have all the answers, um, know when to refer to someone else, but just. Um, I thankfully in the past, you know, 10 years or so, mental health, the stigma around it has really improved. And I'm thankful for that. Have those conversations, be willing to open up our students. All they just need you to be who you are Yeah, and they need you to listen. Don't try to replicate someone don't try else. To, yeah. Don't try to be someone that you're not be to that student who, who you need, who they need you to be, which is yourself. And, um, uh, again, don't be afraid of those conversations and, and don't be afraid to to reach out to someone when you need help yourself. Yeah. Have a plan in place. Be prepared. Do the work now so that when it happens, because right. it is in your youth group. Yeah. If, if you think it's not in your youth group, you're not that good of a youth pastor or a youth worker. <laughs> it is in your group. So be prepared for it and uh, know how to handle it. Again, thanks so much to Preston and Sadie and to Rush for having us on yeah. again. Uh, hopefully we've helped you out. And if there's any questions or you guys want to reach out to us, um, here's our contact information, and we'd be more than happy to help any way that we can. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Rush Student Ministry Podcast. If you want to join the team, leave a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice. That helps us so much. I'm Preston. And I'm Sadie. And And we'll we'll catch catch you next time on the Rush Student Student Ministry Ministry Podcast. Podcast.